Hey TSL fam, quick production note. This is actually part one of a two-part series on our experiences, lessons, and tips for set. Uh, we'll be releasing part two in the coming months, probably sometime this summer, but just wanted to clue you into that, that there is more coming, just because we had so much to talk about. And we talk a lot about the context of set as being a writer-producer or director for an episode of TV, or maybe you're on set helping rewrite a feature, but we also would highly encourage our emerging writers to get on set, even if it means being a PA or shadowing a producer or director. We feel strongly that set is an experience that every writer should experience at least once because it'll really give you some context for what you're writing. So just understand that as we jump in and enjoy the episode. Hey everyone, welcome back to The Screenwriting Life. I'm Meg LaFove. And I'm Laurie McKenna. So as writers, we're often just sitting alone by ourselves, but hopefully we all get the opportunity to be on a set, either as a writer producing our own episode, as a showrunner, or as a feature writer on set, working with the director and rewriting as you go. Uh, so it's an experience that every writer should have so that you can understand how your script goes from your mind to the page, to the production process, all the way to coming to life with actors in front of a camera. A film or TV set is its own universe with its own set of rules, language, and etiquette. So today we wanted to offer you a crash course on set life. What to say, what not to say, what terms to understand, and how to respect the system. But before that, we're going to talk about our weeks or what we like to call adventures in screenwriting. Lorian, how was your week? My week was great. It's raining again, and I always love to write in the rain because I feel like I have no more excuses except to stay home and sit at my computer and write. There's nothing inviting for me to go out and do because I'll get wet. Uh, so this week has been a lot of writing. I have a deadline for a project on Friday, uh, but a lot of it has been preparing for pitches, and uh, which is all very exciting. And uh, it's also exciting that very few of them have been rescheduled so far. Like two of them actually happened, like first time schedule, like they happened when they were supposed to happen, which was like, what's happening? Um, so I have this whole involuntary experience I call PPP, which is pre-pitch panic. So it's like, I feel sick. I might barf. I might poop my pants. I have to pee 16 times. I get a tickle in my throat. I can't focus. And somehow all of my technology stops working. But, you know, as soon as the pitch starts, that all goes away. So it's like this build and release. So what happens when, you know, I have a pitch at three and I'm like, all ready for it. I'm like, the PPP is building and building. And then we get the email five minutes before the pitch. And it's like, hey, we want to push this by 45 minutes. And I'm like, oh, God. Now, what do I do with all of this feeling? Uh, I don't know what to do with all that yet. So I wish I could be a person that could like gracefully manage through that, but I'm fully like adrenaline poisoned and it's really hard to uh, process that. So I, I can't figure out how to regulate that on my own. So I just have to accept that, that that's the truth of who I am and how I am before a pitch. It so, is. And it's also a real thing. It's a, it, it's, there's a definition for it. Is it called somatic anxiety? So there's different mm. anxieties, right? There's cognitive anxiety and then there's actually anxiety that lives in your body and it is a real thing. I think breathing. Oh my God, this is exciting. I have a new kind of anxiety. Thank you, you so do. Much. You know, it's a body anxiety. <laughs> and the way you deal with it is you breathe. You do breathing. There's breathing techniques and it resets the somatic system. So that's just one thing, just maybe okay. to think about. All right. So you, I will add, know. remember to breathe. Cool, cool, yeah. cool, cool. It's like breathe. Right. You guys breathe in six, hold for four, breathe out for six or something like right. that. I don't know. People go on our Facebook page. Tell us what it is because I don't yeah. remember. Well, thank um, you. Yeah. Okay. My week. Um, uh, is two parts. The first part is um, often in writing, not often, but you hope in writing you get to a point where either you're on set 
or you're going out to directors or you're in animation and you're out, you're like four weeks out from a screening or different ways where you don't have a lot of time to start blowing stuff up and you've just got to fix some problems. So the read or the actor or the screening or whatever, let's just call it as band-aided. I mean, we want it to not be a band-aid, um, but you know, sometimes you're, it's a band-aid. <laughs> um, totally. it's, it is not my favorite part of the process because I really like when things are set up and paid off. Right. So I guess that's my week is the setup and payoff. If you really have really great setups and payoffs, you're not going to have that many band-aids because it's been earned, if that makes sense. And it's also why I'm always pushing, 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 barf draft, barf draft. You don't know what you have to set up until you get to the end. Right. So all those setups and payoffs don't happen. Right. And the only way you get great setups and payoffs is by writing many drafts because things come in that you didn't even know was a setup, but suddenly it, you can use it later or all those fun things. So I'm in the kind of wish I had set up more things phase because now I have to <laughs> bandaid, but it's okay because then, you know, that's, that's the learning curve. And the second part is, um, let me ask fine. you something about the bandaid thing. Yeah, yeah. Can the bandaid itself often lead to a simpler payoff? Like a yes, absolutely. Simpler, I mean, it's not like, always bad to be forced right. into a Band-Aid situation. Um, you know, you guys, I'm sure for even for our emerging writers, you've got a deadline to go and put go into the contest or whatever. Like you might be in a situation where, you know, this part doesn't work and you can't unravel the whole thing. So you're going to kind of Band-Aid it a little. But yes, in terms of a larger process, that even just attempting the Band-Aid can show you the road, if that makes sense. It might not show you the road you can do right now before that due date of that contest is coming up, but it can show you the road for the next time and what you didn't earn, what you didn't set up. Suddenly that character relationship isn't set up right. So it's not working or you need some sort of object right now so that they're not having to have all this stupid dialogue. And you suddenly are like, oh my gosh, they could have an object that they look down and look at. And suddenly we know because we've seen that object. We didn't know we were going to see it that way or whatever. Right. But in trying to band-aid it with dialogue, which is always what happens, which is the worst because nobody listens to dialogue, right? And then people are going to be like, I don't understand this. And you're like, she said it. She literally said it. And you're going to be like, no, they didn't hear it at all. Um, you know, behavior, choices, um, you know, visual things are things that people remember, right? Um, maybe not so much, obviously, maybe, I mean, we could have a, we could ask a TV expert about this because certainly people like Sorkin make dialogue such a high art that you are listening, but um, an interesting thing to talk about with some TV people. But so Can I yes, say the, one more thing about yeah, the yeah. bandage. Just mm -hmm. so uh, we had a, a pitch yesterday for a project I'm co-writing with somebody and it was pretty fairly, it was a big pitch, high stakes, big, big. If we got this, it'd be really exciting. The end, they were wanted to really clarify what kind of comedy it was. And so we we told them. But this morning we realized, oh, we need to do an example. So we came up with this hilarious bit about a runner that shows what kind of comedy it is. So it was like, yeah. that's kind of we are band-aiding it. Like we don't want to go unravel the whole pitch. So we're just gonna add something at the end where we talk about tone and we're gonna do that. So it's like, but it's gonna make the pitch better and yes. it helps clarify for us even more what the show is. And that will often happen when you're pitching. Like each time you pitch it, it's sort of like, it changes just a tiny bit and that's okay. Like if that's happening to you, allow yourself to adjust just a little bit for each time because you're learning as you're going. Yeah, yeah, I think that's great. And I don't, I'm not at all anti-Band-Aid, like do it because again, it could just be the, it turns out not to be a Band-Aid in exactly the most distinct 
perfect thing you needed. Um, or it's a Band-Aid that's going to show you the road later. You just don't want to get a Band-Aid monster. Like if you've suddenly got a Band-Aid monster, probably don't enter that contest because it's a Band-Aid monster and it'll feel like a Band-Aid monster and they'll ask two questions and all the Band-Aids will pop off. Mm -hmm. Um, Mm -hmm. But pretty much, uh, uh, yeah. So And some people are really, really, really good at this, right? Like it's what they live for. Triage. They just, and they just love the specificity of, these four words, they're like poets, right? Like these four words, like, this is not my thing, people. This is not my thing. Like it's so anxiety driving for me because as soon as I need to pick the perfect four words, I don't remember language. Like forget about which words. I don't remember <laughs> any words. It's, it's just what W-U-T-I-Z. What is W-E-R-G-S? What is words? It's just my brain. It's just how my brain works. And the only way I can get through it is I start writing because usually band-aids end up being dialogue. It just does. Uh, I end up writing really long dialogue scenes to find the perfect phrase and just pull it. If that makes sense. Like if Mm -hmm. I have to, Mm -hmm. my brain makes me only think of one sentence that she can say right here. That is no longer than one sentence and only 10 words. That's not happening. Like I'm never doing it. It's just like, (laughs) but if I write, two pages of dialogue of her talking to somebody like she has to be talking to somebody right and caring about somebody there's a relationship like I have to get into the emotional what's happening here and then all of a sudden she'll tell me what it is she'll say it right Right. so it's just not my most fun and you can always go back and tighten too I find that like with those band-aids I just some people can get to that punched up version faster than me whereas I just have to write like the shitty explicit version not explicit but like the characters just say the band. Yeah, expo- yeah and yeah. so so much band-aid is exposition. Oh, right. Like, yeah. I fear that my my internet just went down. No, we hear you. Can you hear me? Okay. Yeah. Because mm-hmm. um, I just got a new router, people. So Ooh. it better not have gone down or I'm calling that guy back. Okay. <laughs> Well, uh, I will sorry, not Jeff, drive by that. your house before I have a pitch because my, my somatic anxiety will blow out all the technology <laughs> wherever I go. <laughs> That's funny. Okay, so part two of my week is actually a bit of a surprise, which is I have pages due, people. And uh, sometimes we are not the, uh, the, the schedulers of our own life. Uh, they're due. Um, I've worked all weekend. I'm working every hour, but they're due. So I'm actually going to pop off right now and let Lorian and Jeff and Savannah run with this episode um, because this is life, the life of a writer. You yep. sometimes got to pick the writing over what even what you love deeply, which is you guys and doing this show. Um, but it just is the way it is. It's the writing comes first. So I'm saying au revoir. Ciao. Thanks for being here, Meg. Ciao, Meg. Happy Get writing. This is going to be a fun show. I can't wait to listen to it. Bye. Bye. All right. Well, Meg's off writing. Here we are. We three, Jeff, Savannah. Uh, Jeff, did you want to talk about your week real quick? I can, yeah, I can keep it quick. I uh, I feel like I've been trying to hone a very specific muscle that writers need, which is like the process of when you're in it and you're writing, you have to feel deeply and emotionally invested in it. But then when you leave it and get notes, you have to feel completely detached and removed from it. And it's like such whiplash of like, when you're in it, it matters so much. And like, you have to believe in the page and believe in the emotions of the characters. And then you hand it off for notes and you have to be kind of objective and fine with all those things that you care deeply for getting 
destroyed, you know? So if you're moving through drafts quickly and getting notes fast, like that is something that I've just had to try to get better at and know that like, it's okay if this character mattered to me a lot two hours ago, because now they need to go, you know? And that's hard, but I've been trying to like hone that muscle and I'm getting a little better at it, I think. I don't know. It's a whole grief process. Like I've had shows I love that are in development, wrote great scripts, didn't go to series. And those characters are just sort of living in a part of my brain and they live in that script and they'll just never be around. It's, it's hard. I loved those people. I loved them. And so, yeah. And it's the same thing when you have to kill a character or cut something really special, but it's about the bigger picture. And yeah. I, I don't do that well. I don't know why you ha- why you think you have to do that well. I think you have to hide it from the right people, right? right? Like I you guess don't want to be right. like, "What the fuck? How dare you? This is the pivotal. This, you know, it's like you want to manage what other people experience with you, but I don't think you you don't have to do anything. Like I don't have to deal with my somatic anxiety. Yeah, you're I right. May or may not take Meg's advice <laughs> because I'm not perfect. Surprise, everyone. <laughs> That's good. That's very true. I should like probably just give myself some more space to feel. But I think like in the interest of moving quickly, it's it's sort of that there is a rhythm when you're in a a deeper note process, like especially in TV. Like when I was on set, speaking of wrapping it around back to what we're talking about, it was like we're on set. The actress is like, this doesn't feel like something I would say. And I'd be like, great. Well, how would you say it? And then like, great. Well, let's put that in the context of what's happening in these five other scenes as it's related to the whole season. Okay, how about this? And it's like even though I joyfully wrote that other line, doesn't matter. It doesn't work anymore. And now I have to find a solution and I cannot be attached to it. I cannot overthink about think it. It's like, boom, it's done moving on. Exactly. Yeah. It's TV weird. is like that a lot. Like once you're in production, like it just, you can't it all be attached di- it to just anything. Dies and yeah. it becomes something else. And that, I think it's also yeah. just like the getting, letting myself get excited about the, the, the something else is a helpful way to move on. I, you know, it's connected to fuck you, fuck me, what's next, which we talk about on this show, which if you're a new listener, we talk about with the notes process. Every writer experiences the intense emotions of whoever's giving you the notes saying fuck you to them because you're like, I worked so hard on this. What are you destroying this sculpture I made? And then all of a sudden you spiral into a shame hole and you're like, well, fuck me. I'm the worst writer on the planet. And then what's next is when you move forward. And I think this is all connected to like, I'm just trying to speed that microwave up so that I can like get to the next draft. And I think I'm getting a little better at it, but it does it does not go away. You're right, Lorian. It's always the there. trick is moving from fuck you to fuck me to what's next really, really quickly. Like I yeah. still have that process, it, yeah. but it's it doesn't go away. So it's like, right. it's just about going understanding what the priorities are. Yeah. I'm getting better at it, but it depends on the project and what the deadlines are and how much I'm getting paid. It always depends on how much I'm getting paid. <laughs> and how much is getting destroyed yeah. too. If it's one yeah. scene, well, whatever, but if it's like the whole sculpture crumbles, you're <laughs> it's hard. Well, but, yeah. It's a journey, yeah. everybody. All right. Let's talk about set. So in order to talk about the experience of being on set, let's define what an actual set is. So when I first saw this it's like, Jeff, we don't need to define set. And he's like, no, I think we do. And I was like, okay, fair. So he proved it to me by explaining, why don't you tell your story, Jeff? Well, yeah, if you're me in 2014, you definitely want to know what set is. Um, I was new new to LA and a lot of our listeners probably understand what a film set is, but some of you who are only writers might not. And I used to think that a film set was anything related to production. So I was work, I was interning for this big producer. Um, he was working on a movie for The Rock at the time. And um, 
I he was on the studio lot doing a sound mix for the movie. So he was at the Warner lot and he was in a stage mixing with other producers and the editor of the film, the sound mixer. And my um, creative executive was like, hey, Jeff, where is this producer? And I said, oh, I think he's on set. And I looked very dumb because the movie had wrapped like a year before. Um, <laughs> so that was not a that was not a fun way to look impressive as like a doe-eyed dumb dumb who just moved to LA. But I here's think, a secret though: no one expected you to look impressive. Yeah, as exactly. let you know. <laughs> yeah, the nice thing is expectations were already low. But yeah, um, no, I'm kidding. I'm kidding. I'm kidding. Uh, no, it made me laugh. You're. It was funny. Um, but I think what's important is that a set is where filming happens. So. Everyone knows this, but there are three phases of production. There's pre-production, production, and post-production. Well, what I didn't realize was that production is actually very short. It's by far the shortest part of the process, for features especially. You know, you might spend two years in development and pre-production on a film. You might spend six months to a year in post-editing the film. But production, you know, it's probably not going to be longer than 60 days for like a studio movie. So that element, wherever the cameras are filming and the actors are, that's called set. And you're either going to be on a soundstage, which is like a predetermined building where, you know, sets are built for production specifically, or you're going to be on location, which is when you're filming out in the wild and things are repurposed for a set. So that's a set. And that's my short explanation. Yeah. Yeah. So I think that's a, I love that story because I, we've all had those moments and this <laughs> is what this episode is for. Um, also, I think it's always okay to ask if you don't know, uh, mm -hmm. for example, when I was on tab time, everybody kept talking about hot brick. And I was like, what the fuck is a hot brick? But I, I didn't ask because it, it didn't have anything to do with me specifically where I was sitting and what I was doing. So I was just listening to the language. Eventually, I figured out it's like a, a new battery, right, for a, a, a walkie talkie. Like, what is it? Yeah. I mean, it's but I was like, hot. I kept hearing hot brick. And I was like, what? The f so then I just sort of like gave myself over to the wave of not understanding most of the chatter that was going on. And then I would go home and like Google it when I had a minute. So uh, part of it was, I didn't want to look stupid. I was a showrunner with the hot brick. So, and it didn't have anything to do with me. So I didn't have to ask, right? No one was going to ask me to deliver a hot brick. Um, <laughs> thankfully, because I was like, I don't know what that is. Uh, it, I went immediately to like a gross place. So let's move on. Uh, so <laughs> Savannah and Jeff, uh, why don't you guys uh, talk about, I know you guys want to talk about like general set etiquette and can you talk a little bit about what that is and what the expectations are? Because if you're a PA or coordinator, you will be expected to know what a hot brick is and when yeah. to talk about it and how to talk about it and who gets to talk about it and what it's for. So why don't you just take it away and talk about that? This is just 10 general set etiquette rules. Um, again, this is there's sort of just general unspoken behavior that kind of feels like the right way to operate on a set. So we kind of try to break them down into 10 general principles that might be good to think about if you're on a set. Um, Savannah, do you want to start with the first one? Uh, yeah. So definitely, you know, if you're on a set for the first time, likely you're there as a production assistant, uh, right? And uh, it's important to know your role, just like Lorian didn't have to ask what a hot brick was, because that's not part of her job. Um, it's good to know that, you know, as a production assistant, you should probably know what that is, right? Um, so you're on set to be an extra set of hands, right? And ready to fill all of the holes, be very aware and observant of what's going on. Um, however the production kind of needs you. 
Um, so it could be fetching talent or getting food, picking up supplies, really dependent on like what, what kind of budget the project is. If you're on a school budget film um, or a studio film, pretty much you're you're filling all of the holes as necessary, right? Mm -hmm. um, so what's important, I, I mean, it's definitely good to know who who your direct report is, right? Because right. I think my early days on set, you know, I kind of uh, ha got into some trouble by asking the wrong people <laughs> what to do or how I could help them because depending on the level of the production or, or, or scale of production, uh, there's just some people that don't have time, you know, to help you out. So knowing who your person, your go-to person is to ask those questions, super important. Um, so, uh, try to familiarize yourself with the call sheet ahead of time. Uh, so, you know, the names of everyone that, um, you should be direct directly reporting to. Um, and so, yeah, you know, you want to do your, your job, right. Um, and so just always, always, uh, be clear about the things that you don't know if you didn't understand anything. So I have a question for you. So in terms of like, know your role. So I was on set and I was talking to the actor about something. We were between shots and she wanted a bottle of water. So I heard that first AD call a PA to ask for a bottle of water, but there happened to be a bottle of water right next to me. So I reached out my hand and I handed it to the actor and the PA got in trouble from the first AD. The AD was a little miffed at me. And I realized, oh fuck, I just broke some rules. Like I got in someone else's lane. It's not my mm -hmm. like because and so just I wonder how like when you're a PA or a coordinator and like you feel like, oh, I'll do that thing. I'll step in and do that thing for someone else because it's natural to me to be like helpful. And, you know, mm -hmm. I just wonder, like, is that such a great it wasn't a great idea in my case. I learned mm -hmm. my lesson. I apologize to the first AD. I apologize to the PA. Like, uh, I I get it. I get what the rules are. Like, I'm not going to mess around. I'm just going to do my job. Right. I'm not going to try to be helpful. And and, you know, especially as a woman, like, oh, I'll serve. I'll ser I'll be everything to everybody. And it's like, mm -hmm. nope, I'm the boss, the end, <laughs> like and let everybody else keep their jobs, you know, and mm -hmm. be able to look mm -hmm. good. Right. If I'd taken that away from the PA. So who knows what that looked like? They didn't get it fast enough. You know, like so mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. just can you talk a little bit about like if, you know, you're eager, you want to impress, you want to be helpful, maybe don't do other people's yeah. things? Yeah. I mean, I think it's about like reading the room. Right. And also understanding that, you know, uh, when you're on set, the tensions can be high, right? Like people, people have very specific jobs and they need to get it done. And, you know, there is, there's a reason why there's a certain system so that things can move efficiently, uh, and on time, um, and safely too. Like safety is a really big, um, mm -hmm. a really big component to why certain people touch things and don't. Right. Mm -hmm. Um, so it, it might seem like a small thing, but you know, and obviously it's not a big deal, right? Like <laughs> She got her water, right? Yes. Um, but I could see why, you know, if the PA wasn't moving fast enough, you know, that might miss the, you know, the, the AD. That wasn't it at all. Just to be clear, it was, right. I was, it was like a foot away from me. So I just <laughs> reached and handed it. But it was like, the, yeah. the first AD was like, you got to move fast when I ask you. Like, mm -hmm. I, but it was like, yeah. it wasn't their fault. And I was like, oh right. God, I just created yeah. something. Yeah. And that but, leads us to, to a good point too, right? It's like, 
if someone gets upset with you, right, I, I think there there is also a level of like, especially if you're there as a PA, um, to be uh, try not to take things personally, right? Mm -hmm. There, there, there are thresholds, right? Like no one should be, uh, uh, disrespectful to anyone. Um, don't be disrespectful to other people and you don't have to take someone else being, um, toxic to you either. You know, I think, uh, things are changing in this industry. And if you ever feel unsafe or someone is telling you to do something or treating you in a way, uh, that is not okay, you know, it's okay to talk to your direct report about it. If it is your direct report, talk to someone else to flag it, especially if it comes to uh, a safety concern, you know. But overall, you want to be accommodating. If someone, you know, gets annoyed at you, it's like, okay, roll it off your back. You know, this right. is this is the job. It probably has nothing to do with you either. I think like exactly. it probably has to do exactly. with the fact that the studio just called that producer and told them that if they don't fix this thing, they're fired. It's just, unfortunately, set, there's never enough time or money. That's just like the pretty much the base fact of any set. And because of mm -hmm. that, tensions can be high. Yes. And I think it, a lot of it comes from the top where if a director or producer sets the tone of a warm, inviting, friendly set that trickles down, but that just doesn't always happen. Um, and mm -hmm. if you're at the bottom of that totem pole, sometimes you can be the victim of that mentality that comes from the top. But this kind of leads right. to our second point, which is no matter what you're dealing with, just do your best to be nice and smile. And I know that sounds condescending, but I, there's so much to be said about just bringing a warm energy and an attitude that you can control um, because it goes a really, really long way and it will get you invited back um, because sometimes all people want is just a nice vibe. <laughs> like, I know that sounds crazy, but I've been doing some producing for the Recording Academy just to get back on set because I kind of miss it. And um, I've been invited back a bunch. And honestly, one of my supervisors said like, you're good at this. It's not like, but we're inviting you back just because we liked the vibe. Like we liked what you brought, like the energy you brought. And that's a huge part of being, it's like a family and it can feel, sometimes feel like a dysfunctional family. And if you're like the fun hang sibling, then you'll get invited back. So yeah, not um, too fun. Yeah. Not you too can't fun. Hang out and chit chat and distract people. Yes. Like there's these lines, right? Yes. Yeah. Like, yeah. Yeah. I've, I've yeah. as someone who's hired a lot of production assistants that, you know, positive energy and like willing to do what it takes to make the day and, and support. I mean, production assistants are the glue, you know, mm -hmm. that, that really keep things moving. And so, yeah, positive energy, you know, people want to work with good people um, who get things done and are, I will say, you know, like all of my years at Pixar, the PAs mm -hmm. had the hardest job. Mm -hmm. uh, absolutely. Uh, and I think that's probably true on a film set. They work the hardest, they show up mm -hmm. the most, they, they, like, and without them, nothing works. So like, bring that knowledge with you, but like, reprove it every time, right? Mm -hmm. Make yourself indispensable. Like, and I was always terrified when my PA had to like, was sick or like, couldn't do, I was like, oh my God, what are we going to do? Right? Because as mm -hmm. you move up the chain, you get a little more useless was my experience, <laughs> you There's know, in terms of that. like, Base, some basic things, your brain's on other things and you sort of yep. forget, even if you've come up that same ladder, you know, it's like your mind is occupied with other things, but like, mm -hmm. and to everybody else, always be kind to PAs mm -hmm. because they have a lot of power that you might not suspect and not that they're going to per, per, uh, evil at you, but like 
just be kind to everybody. That should be, it shouldn't be that like, I had to do it, you should do it kind of thing. It's we're all in this together, but everyone has just an important job because Mm -hmm. without all the people working on a set, like Jeff said, there's never enough time. There's never enough money. There's never enough people. So like everyone there is absolutely there for a reason. There are no extra people. So be kind to everybody so that they show up every day and do their job so that everyone can do their job. Well said. Yep. You want to do number three, Savannah? This is funny. You know, English, it might not sound like it, but English is not my first language. Um, And so this kind of goes into the walkie talkie uh, etiquette, but being as concise as possible with your questions goes a long way. Uh, (laughs) um, Sometimes I can be long winded and, you know, need to have all the detail or whatever, whatever. Um, But yeah, you know, try to think before you ask your question, make sure you haven't um, exhausted all of the possible, you know, uh, 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 solutions, right? You know, to try to deduce what what you're trying to get at. Um, Because, Yes, time is limited. And, uh, you know, people have so many things on their mind and different things. So it, to stop and answer your question is is going to take away from what they're actually doing. So be conscious of that. Uh, the next one is just know your equipment. And again, this has to do with, um, depending on the department you're PAing in, those are the kinds of clarifying questions you want to ask when you get hired on a production of, you know, if you're getting hired as an art department PA, you know, you might want to hop on Reddit or a Facebook group and connect with some, you know, art department heads who can tell you what some specifics of that department are. I know a lot of times PAs, you won't be asked probably to move any C stands or grip equipment um, because that's possibly outside of like the safety purview of what PAs should be moving. But you might be, I mean, depending on the production, especially if you're a grip PA. Um, But I think like one thing that you'll almost be guaranteed to fetch our Apple boxes. So I just wanted to quickly go over the four sizes. Um, This may sound silly, but it's very important. Apple boxes somehow hold everything together. Yes, they really do. And C47 clips, is that what it is? C47 clips, gaffer's tape, and Apple boxes. (laughs) Yeah, that's that's a great, like... (laughs) 101 as to like the glue that holds a set together. Um, the four sizes, there are four sizes of apple box. So someone will either say grab a full apple, a half apple, a quarter apple, or a pancake. So those are the four sizes. And they just decrease in size depending on what you're asked. So this is an a audio medium. I can't do much to explain the dimensions, but just know that there are four sizes of apple boxes. So if you see a bunch and they ask for a half apple, grab the the third biggest one, and you'll have the right size. Um, and a pancake <laughs> is like the very tiny one that's almost just like a flat little wooden box. And then if someone says, set up that half apple New York style, that's going to be tall, tall ways, because New York has tall buildings. If they say Texas or Chicago style, that's going to be wide. Um, so tall and wide, <laughs> it's hard to explain, but... And then if they say LA style, it's like just laying flat, like how an Apple box would Jeff sound. Jeff is going to do a sketch of all of these and we're going <laughs> to post it on the Facebook. Well, I'll do it on the Facebook Screenwriting group. life. Yes. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, and then, yep, clamps, like Lorian mentioned, you might be asked to grab those. And then gaffer's tape, you might be asked to tape something down. Um, so to me, those mm-hmm. feel like the essential 101 equipment that you should, and then C-stands, obviously, the big kind of silver metal poles would like look like little big tripods. Um, but those feel like the 101 equipments that you should be aware of, I think. Anything else, Savannah, that you would mention here in terms of equipment? Hot bricks? Uh, 
Walkies. Yeah. Hi. Yeah. <laughs> well, yeah, I mean, definitely um, if available, you know, it's always great to keep a charged battery or a hot brick on you. Um, but also if you're a PA and um, you're asked to give up your walkie or your hot brick, don't, <laughs> don't make a stink out of it. You know, it's, it that do the courteous, courteous thing, you know? Um, but yeah, hot bricks are great. Cause my, I, in my experience, walkies die all the time. Mm. <laughs> so mm. make sure you're always charging those batteries. Yep. Uh, you want to do number five, Savannah? Okay. Yeah. Uh, crew eats first, right? Um, and, you know, goes to the courtesy thing uh, in general, let other people eat before you. Um, it's just a nice, th- nice thing to do. Well, this was a struggle for me because everybody kept saying, go ahead, get in line ahead of them because I was the showrunner. So I was like, quote, so important. But I was always like, no, no, no. Like I would always go find something else to do so that I would come late so that everybody else could eat before me because I just felt like these people were standing around on set, but it was hard, right? Because sometimes you get caught in the, hey, go before me. And you're like, shit, I don't want to be rude and like make a scene. But at the same time, you all should be eating in front of me. So there is this, it's, I don't, I don't think it was ever a thing. I mean, you never know what people think of you. Right. But, uh, it was, it was a tricky, I had to like stay and work on set while everyone went to go to lunch so that I could come a little late. And there was always plenty of food. That was never an issue. Yeah. I have found just to relate to you, Lauren, like when you're at the top, top, it's a little hard. I felt that way directing too, where when you were telling that story about handing a water bottle, I would sometimes want to help, but especially in a weird way, if you're that high up, that's when it can get dicey. I, I think this applies a lot if you're a TV writer and you're on set and it's your episode. That's a great time to let crew go first. Um, mm. Because like if you're sitting in Village and we'll talk about what that means, you know, maybe with producers or scripty or other like high end above the line positions, that's a great time to, I think, let the crew eat first. Mm-hmm. I think if you're on set yeah. for your episode yeah. and that could apply to a lot yeah. of our listeners. Yeah. Well, and also to add, I mean, there's a reason, right? Like we're all, every crew member and every department is serving the the creative work, right? And so mm-hmm. if, if, as the showrunner or the director, right? Um, if you have to get food first to be able to have the brain space to do, you know, make all of these decisions, um, that that is okay. Sometimes you know? I would have to write through lunch for the yeah. next shots so i would yep, right. somebody would go get me something to eat and bring it yeah, back right not on set because we were COVID, so we couldn't eat on set but to back into the the lobby area yeah i mean of course right but yeah it's all just sort of trying to be generous mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. it's a good yeah. way to put it um yeah. this is a big one never ask when are we ending <laughs> i think like <laughs> when i first was paing i assumed like i didn't realize that set was just like and this is great thankfully changing because unions are finally putting their foot down but like it's not like it's like the schedule today is eight hours the thing with set is the schedule is when we wrap and you know there are considerations where if you go a certain amount of time you start getting paid more because you're in overtime but like if let's say you're you know your call time that morning is noon and you have an 8 p.m party that night and it's supposed to be an eight hour day you can't be like hey i've got a party to go to can i leave set Yeah, you, yeah, the no, day ends no. when you wrap. And every the so, thing is, when it starts getting late, everyone is thinking, when are we going to wrap? But you just don't ask the question. <laughs> I think the producers did such a good job on tab time because we had call time, same time every day, pretty much. And we wrapped every night at seven. 
Wow. That's amazing. And then there was the breakdown, but they like, we didn't go ever go into turnaround. I think we had like, we had a COVID, we had to shut down for COVID for a couple of days because we didn't, but then we had an extra day added, but like that they, it was like, we were for real. It was like Mm -hmm. wrapped and we would work at the end. Like the last hour was always like breakneck to get to finish the day, but I was really impressed. So now, of course, I'll go to my next set and expect that and might not be that. And I'll be like, wait a minute, when are we ending? (laughs) Yeah, it's not fun. And then I'll remember this episode and I'll remember, but there are flags that are called, right? If you are going long mm-hmm. flags called, what am I a sports person? I don't know what that means. <laughs> flags called. Is that even a thing? But there are, you, you will start to hear certain phrases and words, right? About we're mm-hmm. going to turn around and certain things need to happen. If that, if that happens, right? Yes. And it, well, it, it also depends on what kind of production you're on, right? Yeah. Like Jeff, mm-hmm. I'm sure, I, you know, I've worked on a lot of low budget um, short film productions. And um, a lot of the time people are, it's a passion project, right? right? And people are there because they got really excited about the creative and the director and they want to support this project. But at the same time, like as a producer, you you can't abuse the that generosity, right? right. And, you, and there's a, a safety component and there's a reason why you have to stop at a certain yes. time so that, you know, your, your crew can go and get the rest that they need Absolutely. to be, to appear the next day and, and work safely. So yeah. Um, yeah, yeah. But yes, don't ask when are we ending? <laughs> Yeah, it's a tricky. I think it's just that thing where it's like if if you're going over, everyone knows and there's sort of an unspoken feeling of like we all wish we weren't going over, but like being the PA who's like, "Hey, like I've got to go." It's like everyone has to go. Um, yeah, it's a it's a tricky thing. Um Yeah, when when the when the pizza delivery arrives at the end of the day, you know you're going over if you Yeah, hours. that's right. That extra meal. <laughs> oh, yeah. 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 Okay. I'm going to do this next one. Cause I have a funny story about Pixar. Great. Okay. So this is be professional with talent. So don't be a fanboy or a fangirl. Don't ask for a selfie. Um, so, uh, at Pixar, you know, we had fancy people come in and out all the time. And, uh, one time you too came and, uh, somebody, uh, and, you know, here's the thing about Pixar, everybody gets the, you know, this person is coming, everyone be cool, right? So that when the stars come in and walk around, we all do this sort of like, whatever, like no one pays, like, it's very like, mm. and then the minute they leave the room, it's all, I'm so excited. but like, when they're there, it was all very like, mm-hmm, yeah, we're cool. Um, like I walked outside the, outside the, the atrium doors once and like, uh, Brian May was standing there and he sneezed and I said, Gesundheit. And he said, I'm allergic to the sun. And it was like, my God, this is my favorite thing that has ever happened in my whole <laughs> life. I just talked queen. Like, you That's know, incredible. Like, okay, bye. And I went off to lunch. Like I, that was, how could I not say Gesundheit, right? Somebody <laughs> right. anyway, mm-hmm. so you two came and uh, I wasn't, I think this was before. Yeah, this was before my time. Uh, and somebody ran across the hall and hugged Bono. And it was bad news, like bad news. And like, it was, uh, no one, no one has ever done something like that since. I mean, I don't, the woman wasn't fired. I mean, I mean, it was like, that's not what you get fired for, but it was like, oh no. So do not be the Bono hugger. Don't be the Bono hugger. That is a perfect (laughs) way to put it. Um, yeah. The the other one is people want might want to ask for selfies, but that's just a no, no. Yeah. Yeah. Well, I mean, because at the end of the day, like they're there to work too. We're all here. We're working. We're work. 
And, you know, like at Pixar, a producer is showing them around for a reason, right? They're like, maybe they're going to do a project with Pixar. It's work. Wherever you are, everybody's working, you know, so. Yeah. Yeah. And the truth is, if you want to be taken seriously, treating that person professionally and like a peer or a colleague is the way to be taken seriously. You know, if you're asking for selfies, you look like you look like this is your first set and you're very green where as if you're if you know this lingo we're teaching you today and you bring them to set in a way that feels like their colleague or their peer, you're actually more likely to be taken seriously. You want to be cool like like me, like at the Emmys when I threw my glass of champagne at Jack McBrayer's feet. (laughs) That's what you want to be like, whatever. I throw my wine at everybody's feet. You just happen to be standing there. So, you know, be cool like me. Yeah, that's the way to do it. (laughs) Well, yeah, and it's like, you know, being able to read the room, right? Um, If you're a PA, you're assigned to getting crafty or a plate of food for talent, you know, and they want to have a conversation with you, have a conversation with them, right? Yeah, yeah. absolutely. Like you may find yourself Somebody might say, hey, where's the bathroom? And you turn around and you're like, oh, my God, it's Tom Cruise. I can't right? talk you, to you. <laughs> I can't, right? You, I look, eyes down, eyes down. No, like, be cool. Yeah. Tell him where the bathroom is. Don't follow him into the bathroom is what we're saying. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Even if you have to go, even if that's where you were going, go somewhere else. <laughs> <laughs> I think like understanding the the food ecosystem on a set is valuable. Ooh, very important. Um, Yes. Yeah, there's basically like food will be called one of two things. It will either be called craft services or like your meal or catering. And they're two different things. So craft craft services are crafty. You might hear it called. It's just basically like the snack area where there might be like coffee and mints and water and nuts and maybe some candy chips. or red vines. Lots chips. of chips. So many um, chips. Don't eat of chips. crafty every day because you're yeah, it's a lot dangerous. Of chips. <laughs> yeah, crafty is the dangerous area because it's there yeah. the whole time. Um, I try to stick yep. to mints because that's a nice way to keep my mouth busy but not eat a ton of Fritos. Um, but yeah, crafty in general, it's available to anyone on set to come grab as you please. Just I would say if you're if you have a direct report, you can just maybe double check. Like I'm fine to go run to the crafty table, right? Um, you should be. I mean, it was, it would be a very strange set if like certain people were not welcome to crafty. Um, but then meals are a different thing. So typically six hours into your day, you will break for what's called lunch. And that's when you'll get some kind of hot meal, which will be catered or, you know, brought to you on set. Before COVID, there were sometimes buffets, but that's becoming less and less common. Um, but no matter what time of day you're shooting, that's always going to be called lunch, which was very confusing to me on a night shoot when we were breaking for lunch at 3 a.m. But mm-hmm. <laughs> um, I think just like understanding those two terms, that was confusing to me. I thought there was like a mac and cheese situation when everyone was talking about craft, craft services. I thought maybe we were getting no, it's a with ton a C. of... Yeah, Crafty. I did not know that at the time. <laughs> also, so. sometimes the person who is working the crafty is called crafty. Yes, which yep. I always, I've never referred to that person as crafty. Like, oh, oh hey, where's yeah. crafty? Let's ask crafty. She might know. Don't I mean, see if you can learn that person's name, because yeah. if you do and you're kind to that person, they will notice what snacks you like and they will hold them for you and hide them. And when you come by, they will give them to you. Be nice to crafty. Oh, yes. yes. Make friends yes. with crafty. I think that's a great, yes. great piece of advice. So that's the only thing yeah. you take away from this show. Yes. <laughs> Be nice to crafty because food is like drugs on a set. Like food, yes. it's time to eat. Yes. Especially during COVID when we couldn't eat or drink on set. Oh, yeah. So it was like you had to sneak out, get your chips, go outside. You know, anyway, that and was just me. Eating. Like a little goblin behind the trees. <laughs> 
I, th- I think the food also, <laughs> I know the director and producer set the tone, right? But if you have good food on your set, man, mm-hmm. your crew will be so much happier. Mm-hmm. Huge, and, mm-hmm. huge. You know, like if, first of all, you you shouldn't get pizza for lunch if that happens. Yep. I mean, it's just like you're shooting yourself in the foot. Don't do that to yourself as a producer, yeah. right? <laughs> yeah. Especially if this is a low budget, you know, passion project. Put your put the budget in sandwiches. Food. <laughs> yeah, like, some sandwiches. Yeah, some options. Pizza options, is kind of yeah. the de facto like we're a shit show set. Um, yeah. <laughs> so just I totally agree with that, Savannah. If you're like for our producers who are listening who want to create a good set, I know it's a, food can get expensive, but just like avoid pizza is a great general rule. What I loved about the the PAs, the script supervisor, people I worked with on tab time is that I would be sitting in my chair and I would move it. I I like to have a table. So one day I brought a little table over so I could have my pages and some water and stuff. The next day I came in, the table was already set up for me mm-hmm. with a bottle of water with the pen I liked so that it just felt like Number one, ooh, someone's watching me, but also someone's paying attention to what I need. Also, I'm sure they noticed that I lost every single water water bottle, every single pen. I never knew where the pages were. So people were always looking ahead, sort of noticing, filling the gaps for me so that I could do my job. And I really, really appreciated that. It was just this small thing of noticing like... I needed this table or I'd be like, I was like literally writing on paper against my leg if I didn't have that table. So things like that really mattered. Yeah. Anticipating um, the need, right? That's, yeah. That's the yeah. sign of a great production assistant. Yeah. Um, so wise. Just so a wise. warning though, that you don't want to be a little like too much. Like, do you want some water? Do you want some water? It's like, mm-hmm. don't, shh. <laughs> yeah. yeah. Yes, Quiet I do. Actually, yes, I do want some water. <laughs> quietly proactive and i would always ask thank you so much for setting this up like who set this up like i really appreciate this you know i didn't just expect that and then don't show your face and talk to me and ask me for water that's not that at all but um that kind of going the extra bit uh, made me feel safe and seen and valued uh in a way that wasn't like i mean and may- who knows what it was maybe they were just like ah oh, we gotta give the showrunner whatever she wants so she shuts up but like <laughs> whatever it was it is always a learning process, right? Like, and um, when Jeff and I were talking about this idea, we thought it would be, you know, like, I think we both wish we kind of had a cheat sheet, right? Especially how to use these walkie talkies um, because, or like different things on how to communicate with people on set or how things go, because really it's kind of, what's the phrase, birth by fire or whatever, you're like, you're trial thrown by into fire, the deep, yeah. trial exactly. by fire, you, yep. you are thrown into the deep end and you're just expected to kind of like figure it out, right? And Savannah, you had this great idea to sort of go over walkie etiquette, which I thought was brilliant. Like not only kind of how to use them and how they operate on a set, but some important terms to know. So I'm going to throw to you. Yeah, you know, I wish someone kind of told me a little bit about this before I made all of these horrible mistakes. (laughs) So, um, yeah, I think once you get a walkie, you know, what what is important to kind of understand is that all of these different departments are using different channels on your walkie talkie, right? And channel one is usually always this main channel. It's primarily used by production assistants and coordinators. Um, and it's also where other departments come to, to make general requests and notify, uh, folks of whether, you know, for example, if we're rolling, if we're cutting, if we're moving on, uh, so forth. So 
one one story, you know, one thing that I learned the hard way was that I tried to have like a full on one to one conversation with a supervisor about a problem that I was having on channel one. And that's a huge no, no. Right. Because that's literally everyone on set listening to your very detailed <laughs> question oh, no. about how to find some whatever whatever right so the correct way to do that you weren't bitching or gossiping were you i've seen no, that happen. no 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 i good. was not <laughs> that's good it could have been worse give yourself a little bit of grace give yourself some it, grace it could have been much worse right but usually the etiquette there is um you know you would you would tell um you, you would uh, call for whoever you need to speak to um and then you would inform them that you're switching to two um, and then you'd switch to channel two, have your normal conversation, and then, you know, copy switching back to one. Um, so you're back on channel one in case there's any more notifications or requests for you on that channel. Um, well said. Thanks. Yeah. <laughs> um, speaking of, um, you mentioned some terms. Uh, should we go over some of the big ones to know while you're on walkie? Yeah, so 10-1 means I need to go to the bathroom. 10-4 uh, uh, typically you know, means I understood the message, but I like to just use copy, which basically is the same thing I heard. I understood the message. Um, what's your 20 is a good one. It's location, where you at, right? Um, go again. It essentially means I don't understand what you said. Please repeat uh eyes on is a is a common one right like someone will ask you does anyone have eyes on the director jenny you know whoever um and you respond yeah i have eyes on the masking tape um another term you'll hear is uh first team that's usually the the principal actors in the scene um so you could hear something like walking first team to set right now second team is the, st the stand-ins for your principal actors um, and then lock it up is a term that um, is typically, it, it, you know, it's a it's a job typically um, for production assistance to take care of, right? Essentially, it means don't let anyone through this door or don't let anyone walk by. You're locking up the set because they're about to roll and we can't have any disturbances on set. Uh, flying in, that's uh, when someone or, or something is en route, right? It's you're flying in masking tape, you're flying in the lead, so forth. On it, uh, I love that term when I, if I'm a producer on set and, you know, and someone tells me on it after I request something, I know that they understand the request and they're, they're literally in, in actively working on it. You're not there. I know they're not going to get to it later. They're doing it at that moment. Um, Oh, and in this call and response, I thought was really important to know, right? Like, if I'm ready, I, Savannah. Okay, cool. <laughs> if I if Jeff and I are on walkie, uh, and I really need to talk to Jeff, I'd say Savannah for Jeff. Go for Jeff. Savannah. Yep, and he'd respond, "Go for Jeff." It really means like I heard you call for me. What do you need, right? Um, and when you first. If, at the beginning of the day, you, you you turn on your walkie, you want to make sure it's working. You say walkie check, you know, this is the first thing you say. And someone who's also on walkie will say good check. And that means that, you know, they heard you and they your walkie is now working. What you don't want to do is press your talk button and leave it on without knowing it. That's called keying, right? Someone accidentally is holding down the talk button. Um, and so usually what happens is someone will alert, someone's keying, uh, and that alerts you to, to check your, your buttons. 
if you're going to go off walkie, it's good to inform your team that you're doing so. Um, another good term to know, standby. I, I heard the request, but I'm too busy to reply to you right now. Um, that means that the person on the other end knows that you're going to get to it. Um, and they would re respond with standing by, right? I've completed the task and I'm waiting for further instruction. Um, strike or 86. So when something needs to be removed offset, um, as in like strike that prop or 86 the C stands from staging, it means it needs to it needs to move. Um, kill, when something needs to be turned off, like kill the fog machine. These are pretty much just basic terms that you'll hear a lot um, and it'll become second nature to you uh, once you're, when I, you know, second time on set, it'll become like another way to speak, another language you're using. Do you want to try Locky Convo, Savannah, to see how it goes? Uh, yeah, we, let's I do can, it. I can start it. We'll just look, we can see what happens. All right. Jeff for Savannah. Go for Savannah. Savannah, we need to strike the sea sand from set. Um, I have another PA flying in um, a gimbal instead. Can you help strike this, the sea stand? Copy that. Awesome. Gimbal flying in in 20. Copy. <laughs> it's hard without an actual situation, but I know I'm like, <laughs> that was not the by. most standing by. <laughs> standing by that was not the most efficient or professional version of this, but it gives you an idea of kind of how walkie communication sounds and looks. So. Yes. And, you know, I mean, in, in general, I think, um, thinking about what your request is first before you hit your talk button is courteous because you got to remember your voice is in the heads of everyone on set when you do that. Um, try not to speak too loudly or yell, you know, that's really going to rub people the wrong way. Um, but yeah, just try to be clear to the point as possible. And I also know just like wait a beat, right? Once you hit that talk button, wait a beat before you speak, right? Because um, it's not going to pick up everything you say if you immediately start talking, you'll just have to repeat yourself. Um, and checking your channels, you know, uh, I've done this many times where I realize I'm still on channel two and I haven't heard anything for a while or any requests or, you know, for tasks, I realize I'm on the, on the wrong channel. So just being aware of that and, um, yeah. Oh, well also another important thing is the mic wires, right? Like there's, you have a receiver and you have the walkie talkie. Usually you have like an earpiece, make sure you tuck in all those extra wires under your shirt because it can be a safety hazards and, you know, I've gotten caught on things and I've learned the hard way that it's important to just make sure everything's tucked in and not loose and dangerous. <laughs> and that's in general with any wires on set. So, you know, yeah. lavalier mics on actors or you'll hear extension cords sometimes called stingers. You know, if those are rolling across set, um, if they're not taped down, you could maybe do the courtesy of doing that. You could ask whoever's in charge of grip if you or gaff or gaffer, I guess, if you could borrow their tape and just, you know, tape down some of the stingers to make set more safe. That's a nice way to be helpful. So um, wires in general, they can cause problems. Very true. Thanks for listening, everyone, to part one of our discussions about set. Find part two and listen to that one because it is just as riveting and educational and hilarious. Uh, and if you haven't joined, we'd highly recommend joining the Screenwriting Life Facebook group. It's this really fun, wonderful place to connect with other writers. And we have some amazing Patreon workshops coming up where you can check out. And remember, you are not alone and keep writing. <laughs>